9-11. A moment that had a profound emotional impact on any and all Americans who were old enough to grasp the profound tragedy of the moment. For many, it marked a dark time when a loved one who would of course come home, either that night after a hard day's work or when they came back from their trip, suddenly vanished. In most cases, not even the closure of seeing the body of the deceased family member, friend, or co-worker was possible. Aside from those mourning this very personal loss, the vast majority of Americans would, in time, largely return to the life they knew before 9-11. That is, aside from longer lines and the occasional TSA pat-down at the airport, and the cycle of terrorism news, to which most eventually would become numb. For a very small percentage of Americans, however, the events of that day would result in a dramatic change in their vocation. I was one of them. In the days and months after 9-11, I felt, as did many others in this group, a strong desire to serve my country. At the time, I was a youth pastor and part-time teacher and basketball coach at a church and Christian school in Nevada, California. Initially, I kept this interest to myself until finally I went to a recruiter's office sometime in late of February of 2002. That evening, I went out for a burger with my dad, also a veteran of the Army during the Vietnam War. There, at the Burger King in Nevada, across from the retired Hamilton Air Force Base, I told him about my desire to serve in the Army. He was surprised, but supportive. I told my mom about it when I got home, and her response was, needless to say, less positive. I officially enlisted in April of 2002, and was scheduled to leave for basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, on August 4th. Though my mom did not understand it at the time, she would eventually agree to support my decision, which meant a lot to me. She, of course, reevaluated her position upon word of my orders to go to the Middle East. At Fort Sill, I would complete both my basic training and advanced individual training, or AIT, in my military occupational skill, or MOS. I was trained as a 13 mic, shorthand for a multiple launch rocket systems crew member a medium and long-range rocket and missile fire field artillery system birthed during the height of the Cold War. After the standard 10 days of leave everyone gets after completing BASIC and AIT, I was assigned right back to Fort Sill as my first duty station starting December 1, 2002. There I was assigned to the 75th Field Artillery Brigade, also known as the Diamond Brigade, a nickname it earned for its toughness in several battles it fought during World War II's Battle of the Bulge. From there, I was assigned to 1st Battalion, 77th Field Artillery Regiment, one of three battalions along with a battery-sized headquarters that make up the brigade, and then I was assigned down to Charlie Battery. I became a part of one of two firing platoons, assuming the role of ammo dog, as they called it. That is, I was to drive large trucks or hemets that carried rockets and missile pods to designated ammunition resupply points where an M270 launcher would reload. Of course, the majority of the time in a typical week is spent performing maintenance on the vehicles and other traditional soldierly tasks, i.e. mowing lawns at the battalion headquarters, sweeping the motor pool, cleaning latrines, staff in charge of quarters, barracks duty, and whatever miscellaneous stuff officers can think up. You know, the cool stuff you always see on the Army commercials, like this. G.I. Joe, the Army Rangers Collection. Realistic and battle ready with authentic combat gear and weapons, just like a real American hero. G.I. Joe, when it's time to get real. My bad, wrong commercial. I meant this one. There's strong, and then there's army strong. It is not just the strength to obey, but the strength to command.
not just strength in numbers, the strength of brothers. Not just the strength to lift, the strength to raise. Not just the strength to get yourself over, the strength to get over yourself. It's more than physical strength. It is emotional strength. There is nothing on this green earth stronger than the U.S. Army. Because there is nothing on this green earth stronger than a U.S. Army soldier. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Find out more at GoArmy.com slash strong. Anyways, back to reality and the rest of my story. My time with Charlie Battery was short-lived as word came down that Brigade Headquarters had been selected to lead a special task force for a seemingly imminent war with Iraq. 177 would not be going, but they were looking for volunteers who wanted to go with Brigade Headquarters. Well, I didn't leave the job I loved, my family and friends, and suffer through basic training to watch this thing on CNN, so it took me all of about five seconds to raise my hand. Of course, I never mentioned this fact with my mom until I returned for fear that she would have killed me before I even got on the plane. About a week later, I received word that I had been chosen, and I was transferred to Brigade Headquarters sometime in early January. I was originally assigned to Security Platoon. What followed was a lot of briefings, preparing the vehicles, such as rolling up camouflage nets and near-zero-degree temperatures, that was memorable, getting our DCUs, or Desert Camouflage Uniform, and other procedures that you go through as you prepare to leave for war, such as preparing of a will and giving your loved ones, my parents in my case, complete power of attorney. The highlight of this time could only be described as a classic example of an army operation. All of our vehicles were to be loaded on trains and sent to the Gulf Coast where they would be shipped to Kuwait. The whole task force personnel was to be flown on a chartered commercial jet to Kuwait sometime later, and there we would pick up our equipment. We spent a long day in very cold temperatures, slowly methodically loading 70 to 80 vehicles onto the trains, each one having to be shackled to the rail cars four to eight times depending on the size of the vehicle. As the last of the shackles were being tightened, a civilian runs out from the office screaming, Wait! Wait! He goes on to explain that our mission had been given top priority and that they wanted everyone over there in three weeks. That meant downloading all the vehicles, power washing and patching every lubrication leak to meet strict air transportation standards, and then reloading them onto C-5 Galaxy aircrafts, the largest transportation plane in the U.S. military. The next several days consisted of long hours at the wash rack, getting soaking wet in very frigid weather as we prepared every vehicle to go airborne. Eventually the time came, and with the whole task force flying out on a total of nine chocks. Each chalk was staggered in departure, and I was on chalk three. Over the next four months of my tour of duty in Kuwait and Iraq, yes, it was that short, and I'll explain why later, I kept a shorthand journal of my experience. I'm going to share those with you in the next several My Life So Far posts. Additional comments will be given as well to help explain and fill in the gaps. This chapter in my life would profoundly shape me to this day, and likely for the rest of my life, as I know it has for over 2.7 million veterans and counting who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and now many other parts of the world as a part of the quote-unquote global war on terrorism. Remember this as you listen to these stories. <laughs> 